being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What's happening, Chargers fans? Welcome to the second last regular season episode of 2023 with the Thunder Down Under. Andy Prophet here, joined by Alistair Lloyd and Jack Reed. Happy New Year's to you both, gentlemen, and to all our listeners. Many happy returns for the coming of 2024. How are we doing today, fellas? I'm all right. Pretty good. Nice to be back, back in the box seat. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Happy New Year to you two as well. Um, yeah. Can't wait to get back into it. What did you get up to for New Year's, mate? I was in bed by about nine o'clock. So, uh, yeah, I was sleeping. That's what I was doing. <laughs> the dad life is in full effect. Uh, it's very, very relaxed here. We're just by the ocean, so or by the by the river, I should say. Have a nice view. We saw the fireworks, or the, fa- the family fireworks at nine o'clock. And, uh, yeah, into bed ASAP. And that'll do for the big man. Soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and a lot of TDU family, uh, you know, becoming new dads. We've got to acknowledge Kyle's, but recently become a new dad as well to beautiful Absolutely. baby Isabella. Absolutely. Congratulations to Kyle and his wife, Zaina. Fantastic news for their new little family. It's all happening. We were a little more um, charged up, weren't we, Andy, for our New Year's uh, Fest. Chef, why don't you tell the listeners what you prepared at short order um, for a glorious feast? Yeah, cooked a bit of food. Some lovely pork shoulder, some prawns, um, fed Al and his wife and my partner. Perfect way to, perfect little feast to, to finish off the year. Um, had some cocktails and some beers and then Lloyd and, um, <laughs> Lloyd and Mrs. Lloyd turned out to be quite competitive at the old board games as the, uh, the clock hit 12. So that was, uh, was very interesting. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, like I said, second to last show for the season, but not the end of our calendar. Do not fear. Changing the guard ahead of the team in what will be another interesting off-season for the Chargers. We're going to spend a little bit of time over the next couple of shows taking a walk down memory lane, looking at the Telesco tenure, where things went right and where they faltered. So today we'll glaze over the game at mile high um, from New Year's Eve and dive into TT's imprint on the Bolts offense. So let's get into it. Los Angeles Chargers 9, Denver Broncos 16. With the drama that had it unfolded in recent weeks between Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, and the Donkeys, and Wilson's ultimate benching, the Eastern Stick versus Jarrett Stidham storyline wasn't promising to be a battle of the greats. For the most part, there weren't too many surprises. With an inspired showing against the playoff-bound Bills the week before, under interim coach, uh, head coach Giff Smith, the Chargers fans were led to believe in a spirited effort once Were the Chargers fans led to believe in a spirited effort once more? At times early, especially led by Derwin James, the effort and intensity looked to follow on, but standard few moments of laps, ultimately costing the bolts in a low-scoring affair. Massive congratulations to Khalil Mack, registering his 100th career sack and becoming the 42nd player in league history to do so. Alas, 
missed tackles. Once more, the brutal slap in the face, allowing Lil Jordan Humphrey to take the ball 54 yards to the house for the sole touchdown of the game, leaving multiple Chargers players in his wake. Not even the perfect boot of Cameron Dicker could help us. He had a field goal block from 50, and it just was a little bit of a flat way for us watching it on the 1st of January to kick off the new year with a belter hangover. Jack, good to have you back, mate. Penny, for your thoughts. Oh, to be honest, I think I see more interesting poo in Molly's nappies than the games I'm currently watching with the Chargers. So, Jesus. yeah, not, not really uh, sort of not particularly invigorated. I thought I would see a little bit more of Diane Henley, but he only played eight or ten snaps, which is a bit disappointing. Andy, you noticed or you said that the Khalil Mack was lovely to see his 16th and um, highest ever sack total in a season. Uh, and it was really good to see Jordan McFadden in place of Zion Johnson actually had a half-decent game. Stick was kept fairly clean, I thought. The play design was interesting. There was a bit of a fake um, fake punt that completely capitulated into nothing. It was just at the end of the day. it's Absolute Stick. dog's balls, wasn't it? It's Easton Stick. He's baby poo, essentially. Or baby poo is more interesting than him. I don't mind Callum Moore's play calling, but geez, the cattle that you've got out there are just absolutely shocking. So I watched this game half on my child, half on the screen. I don't really have much else to say other than that, but maybe, um, Alistair, you've got some interesting things to go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's uh, that interesting. (laughs) Um, I'm still, I'm still stuck in the mode. I'm not going data yet. I'll leave data alone. I'll just go, what, what allegory can I bring into the discussion this week? Can we go like like 13th century? They've been really good. Iranian poetry, perhaps roomy or something. No, absolutely not. What I will do though, is I'll channel my AFL team, Collingwood, who have become very successful and won the premiership in our competition. And the head coach of my team likes to say to beat Collingwood, you have to play the minutes. You need to play the minutes, all four quarters. And I feel like the story of the Staley tenure and this team is if you play the minutes against the Chargers, you'll win because the Chargers will either, they'll fumble the ball. It might be Austin Eckler. There'll be a blown coverage. Um, there will be a botched fake punt. There'll be multiple missed tackles. There'll be a fourth down PI uh, in the end zone just when you've got a chance to win. So that's kind of the challenge for the team as I see it. If at the moment, you know as an opposition coach that if you play the minutes against the Chargers, they will self-immolate. And I think that comes down to the difference between bad teams and good teams. So that's kind of my headline thing. We've got to get out of this zone where we find ways to beat ourselves because it's been a regular occurrence all through this year. But it's a new year and hopefully with new coaching and new ideas, we won't see the same thing. I think you've... uh... Summarize it perfectly. Play play the minutes against the Chargers, you'll get the result. And because we just cannot play consistent enough football across four 15-minute quarters. Um, not, yeah, look, personally not really looking for, uh, wasn't looking for too much exciting to come of it. Wasn't expecting much. We've got Brendan Jaimez and, as you said, Jack, Jordan McFadden in at left guard, replacing Zion Johnson. So Eastern Stick, of course, Palmer out. Keenan out, Mike Williams out. Uh, we're running bulks, bulk targets to Keel and Doss and Alex Erickson. And I tell you what, for a wide receiver five, hmm. in the absence of any kind of return to form from Jalen Guyton amidst all the other injuries to the top guys, Alex Erickson's been pretty serviceable um, and and had some great catches. Uh, that said, look, you know, it's we're flaying a dead horse to a degree. 
you'd like to see a little bit more. I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't see all that much more from the sort of fringe or depth pieces, key position pieces. Quinton Johnson had one deep shot target in the first quarter, and then we didn't see him until five minutes into the fourth. Um, and then you Patrick know, he- Sertan took took him to town. He just mm-hmm. gone. I'm big and I'm long. I'm going to follow you around. Try to beat press yep. man coverage, and yep. uh, he, he couldn't. Could he? Couldn't even get schemed open. It's a bit sort of disappointing when a lot of your, uh, you know, as the offensive coordinator and your, and the play caller, a lot of, uh, you know, how it shows you developing uh, young players when you can't even work with the guy to get him touches uh, beyond the point where Denver had kind of packed it in. Um, yeah, disappointing stuff. Diane Henley's a huge one. Nick Neiman in there for about 70% of the snaps and um, only really saw one drive, amassed four tackles and or or a part of uh, and looked good. The one time I that we decide to go... Sorry. One time, sorry, mate. The one time we decide to go for that trick play on fourth down, it's an absolute shit show. And you've got to wonder at fourth and one, doesn't it's the offense a have a play, better... Is it? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> like it's tricky. Well, we're if tricking it's, ourselves. It's tricky if it's fourth and tricky. twelve on your own twenty-seven. Like, I've got a view. If you're going to call out that stuff, call it it's when no one's be the expecting it. If it's or the fourth, offense no, like, runs that play exactly. Like you're not tricking anyone on a fourth and one at your own forty-five. As a special teams on defense, you'd say, "All right, guys, just be ready for like some kind of fake here," and they were ready. Oh, weren't they? And it looked like he'd bobbled the bobbled the direct snap and then ran away from where the protection was. Um, very, oh, very that bubble interesting. snap came out like a lightning bolt though. It was, had some, had a bit of hate on it. It looked like he was completely unready. Uh, I yeah. just go back to what you said about QJ and Sertan. I mean, I will keep defending QJ because I do think he's got the physical ability to be a number one receiver. He just wasn't drafted to be a number one receiver. You got to think in all the, and people might come for me to, for defending him. Who's not good enough, but the poor guy has been asked to do things that he probably wasn't thinking about in camp and don't disregard, you know, six, seven, eight weeks when Justin is focused on Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, all these other guys. And he's just like, Oh, I'll, you know, I don't necessarily need to, to do my thing. Satan wore him like a glove. And so Satan should, Satan should dominate a first year wide receiver. Wouldn't matter if it was uh, Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers. Yeah. I still think Satan um, would have killed us. So, you know what? I've seen enough over the last couple of weeks as well. I haven't had a chance to say it on the podcast that there, there's enough there from QJ, especially when he gets the ball after touch. I still think He's got the physicality to go with NFL secondary players. I just hope that Keller Moore, if it is him calling the plays, whoever's calling the plays next year, puts a little bit more time into him um, in the preseason. So, yeah, QJ, even though you know people are crying out, oh, he's not doing well. Why isn't he getting bulk targets? It's like, well, you know, you don't want to, f- f- uh, as you said, Alistair or Andy, flog a dead horse. So I thought QJ was okay. I don't disagree in the sense that by the end of the year, he's going to have, you know, 450, 500 receiving yards. And if you compare that to Mike Williams, the first year he was drafted, it's it's not like clear that the guys are bust. It's just the expectations were so high this year because everyone thought it was Super Bowl or bust. But I'm with you. I'm not mm. I'm not writing the guy off. And everyone else got injured as well. Yeah. Yeah. We so demanded, like we demanded a huge workload out of him. Right. Agreed. Almost Agreed. from week three onwards. And like he the expectation... The, the expectation was not on him though. The expectation was on the offense. So that's yeah. the that's the thing, I guess. Yeah. Part of the ship, part of the crew. 
Yeah. I still would like to see him higher on the targets list. So even against the Broncos, he had less targets than Everett, who had nine, Erickson, who had nine, Doss, who had eight, and QJ got the five. It's still um, not what you want to see, but he was, like you said, Jack, he was against an all-pro corner. So I guess you just go elsewhere. Eastern stick goes elsewhere. It makes sense. Hopefully better things next year for him too. Yeah. Um, Pretty decent protection from the O-line. Stick was kept clean. There was a few like designed runs on like third and long that (laughs) just kind of looked like Eastern stick was a kid at a supermarket who'd just been caught putting chocolate bars down his pants by a store clerk and just cowered on the ground like many moments before actual contact came to him. Yeah, Speaking from Um, experience, how are you, mate? I never got caught. Um, (laughs) Defense on the whole, probably not super horrible. Obviously, the standard kind of follies that always plague us, which those missed tackles. Um, I thought for the amount that Matlock and Tito played, they they didn't grade particularly well. But you know, in the absence of SJD, our uh, their the Broncos' run game was about as efficient as ours. Um, hmm. For so they flashed on paper a better better running t- a better running unit with Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin. So not horrible, but you know they played against a, a very well drilled offensive line as well. So credit there. Um, I think a third of the targets from Stidham went towards Michael Davis and Essang Bassi. Gave up 147 of 224 yards, eight catches on them. Not great. Jasir Taylor's still out of favour. What's going on there? Is Dean Leonard not 100% match fit to return corner snaps? It's a real concern when you're still paying. You're going to be paying, what, $16 million plus for a, a guy that isn't even on the team next year. That dead cap going to JC Jackson mm. doesn't say a whole lot about your um about your depth there when at least one of those aforementioned guys in Michael Davis wouldn't ex- really expect, based on this year's form, to be a charger next year either. Nope. Sean Payton was smart in that game too. There's not many. No, not many at all. Like Sean Payton, I thought in this game thought like, and one of the key statistical differences because <clears throat> everything was very similar in terms of yardage, yards per play. It was that third down efficiency where the Chargers go two of 11 and the Broncos go seven of 17 because Peyton goes, we know on third and fourth and short, we can run the ball because their defensive tackle group is not great at stopping the run. We'll either go QB keepers and run it or run up the middle with Javante, keep the chains moving. On our side of the ball, we can't run on short, short yardage situations. So we end up punting. And I thought Peyton just thought, you know what, if we're conservative, run the ball, hit some field goals, we'll win this game against the Chargers. And so he, sh- so he should, whatever. though. He's an experienced coach, and he's coaching up against Giff Smith and half half an actual football team. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. And I think Peyton coached fine. I mean, to be honest, if I was a Broncos fan, I'd be going, why didn't we absolutely obliterate these guys? Yeah. If Russell Wilson's playing, I think we'd probably lose this game by two touchdowns at least. Uh, Stidham was okay, but defense, yeah, Derwin James, again, it's nice to see him playing a little bit more freely. I thought he was, uh, it, it was good to see him there, but other than that, I mean, Thule is kind of dry. I think every, t- every game I've watched Thule, sort of the, 
the impact plays that he seems to have are becoming more and more spaced out. He still flashes uh, like any good prospect would, but um, he needs another sort of good preseason. You know, it'd be interesting to see what the defensive scheme will be next year for him um, to thrive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that sort of rookie season fatigue that, you know, you're not necessarily seeing out of the likes of Will McDonald or any of those other sort of high-end guys. But, you know, college season's 10, 14 games, 15 games if you're super lucky. Uh, And, you know, playing 17 with a high snap, high rep count takes its toll. But, look, still been pretty impressed. Don't know about him mic'd up against the Bills. That was a bit how you're going. Uh, Very, very interesting gear. Get off my field. Yeah. (laughs) Very interesting. Okay. Uh, Anything anything further from you guys? Jack, have you got a teachable moment for us in your return? I do. It's not about this game at all, but I've been thinking of my time away and what's happened with the Staley ejection and the Telesco ejection. This is... None other, I I can't call it anything else than a true sliding doors moment. This is a chance for the Chargers to think about their past 15 years, to reflect on who they are and perhaps what they represent and how they run their business, how they run their family, because I still see a world where we have a whoever coach we hire, whether it's an experienced one or a junior one, we're back here in three years time. And the experienced coach we've hired lost it and said, you know what? I quit. I can't work with you. Or the inexperienced coach just hasn't had the support from an organizational level and we're back in the doldrums. So sliding moments we've seen in our fandom, you know, arguably two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Let's call Philip Rivers a Hall of Fame quarterback. Justin Herbert's not there yet. When will they look themselves in the mirror? And this is the span I'm looking directly at you, John and Dean. When will you actually look at yourselves in the mirror and say, my God, I'm wasting talent here. I'm absolutely wasting talent. So my teachable moment is please, 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 let's make sure the door that we go through is going to bring some success. Maybe not in the first year, but there needs to be some key indicators in the next 24 months that this team is going somewhere with Justin Herbert. If not, Geez, I think the outlook looks pretty grim. So, mm. class dismissed. Yeah, well nice said. One. Including it's for a, our it's show. A... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a fair point. How can you be sure that it's it's going to be, you're going to be successful? You know, when you, I mean, look, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into at least the last 10 years of how the offense has been crafted around these stud quarterbacks, um, where there were moments of, potential greatness and where there were just, you know, repeat, repeat offenses, uh, by the GM in terms of, you know, draft philosophies, uh, the way he sort of managed bringing free agents into the building, hanging on to them or, you know, deciding to let other guys go. It's going to be a fun one when it rolls into the defense as well, because when you look at the names on the list and, and the financials, it's, it's, it's actually quite well spread out across both sides of the ball. Um, which makes you just sort of think, how bad was he at his job? He, you know, made some made some good good decisions that worked. But I tell you what, there's one column when you're looking at hits and misses. There's one column that's a lot fuller than the other for mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al, do you want to kick us off, mate? Uh, any way you like. Well, just before we do, Andy, I wanted to kind of give a refrain on what Jack said about the teachable moment because it made me think 
that I, I see a, a difference between the kind of the official statements of the Spanai about wanting to change and make things better, new outlooks and perspectives. But since Staley got fired, the utilization of Dayon Henley doesn't tell me a lot's changed. He's still in the pecking order behind Nick Neiman. I know he's had a, a groin injury, apparently, according to Coach Smith, but they didn't do a lot to change that. Isaiah Spiller's still barely touching the ball. Same with Kelly. They're giving all their carries to Eckler, who's probably not going to be on the team next year. Is that forward thinking and changing your approach to things? Not really. Jordan McFadden, who I'll ask you in a sec, Jack, how you thought he played because you're our O-line guy, but he only came into the game because Zion Johnson was out. Last week against the Bills, he wasn't in the game. Another missed opportunity. So I'm seeing a divide between the words and the actions still, which means I'm going to take, I'm going to need to be convinced to see real change, to think there's real change. Because I've seen more of the same really since Daly got fired. Um, what do you think? What do you think about that, Jack? I, I would agree. And the fact that Max Duggan isn't even getting a shot. I mean, I'd love to see the guy just sling a few balls. I mean, we know Eastern Stick, well, he's a known commodity. Is he going to be there next year? God, he hasn't. I, I, I would hope not. In terms of the, I guess, the organizational structure since Staley has gone, in a time of crisis, you do look for continuity in key spots. You don't know what the locker room's like. Austin Eckler is a large voice in that locker room, and to upset mm. him might upset the apple cart. So, And is there going to be any love lost if you don't give Spiller? Because I guess next year you can say with Spiller, hey, mate, you're going to get some time into because clearly Austin Eckler's not here. Eckler might believe that, you know, he wants to uh, hit targets. He wants to try and get his bonuses. So in that, I can kind of understand. And Giff Smith being very much an, very much a Spanos um, guy as well. He's been around the organization for a while. But in terms of what McFadden showed, I, I put it back to this, the way the team has kind of seemed to be run over the last number of years, which is all individuals. So pay individuals big money. And you know what? Our O-line is these five guys. We don't even have schemes or even a philosophy to rotate people through during a big um, offensive series, you know, in and out. So th the defense definitely did on that um, defensive line, but it seems to me that there's, there's this individualistic philosophical approach which runs from Dean, which goes to John, which Tom Telesco was. And Tom Telesco, to get to be the youngest GM ever, you still have, you have to have this individual drive and a way that you see the world that I think is not necessarily team-oriented. And I'll dig into that a little later when we talk about, um, I guess, Tom, Tom Telesco's tenure. But I still see that on the field. I still see individuals performing. I haven't seen a team. Um, and I think that's where Staley really lacked because he was still a defensive coordinator. He didn't have the experience mm. at the head coach level. So I see individuals playing football and that's been a tenet of Staley's tenure. Um, so, and that is perhaps because we've had a lack of experience at the helm and uh, also at the GM level as well. Cause Tom Telesco, yes, he's got 11 years experience, but it was his first job. Mm. Well, maybe one other question before speaking about Tom Telesco's 11 year reign of terror, um, because based on what you just said, we've got to acknowledge, and we'll get into this in future shows, but all of the talk, the Chargers fans are behind Jim Harbaugh, who just had a stirring success in the Rose Bowl. Michigan are now in the, in the final. 
We know that Michigan have offered him a 10-year deal, $125 million, which he's sitting on. The reports are he's keen to return to the NFL. And I dare say Michigan having all this success makes it more likely um, that he returns. What are some initial thoughts from both of you guys? Maybe, Jack, you can give the first response. But Jim Harbour, is he the kind of breath of fresh air the team needs to hit on some of those things you said, Jack, about not being so individualistic? Just beware. Just have an eye on both sides. Uh, Bill Walsh would always say, protect your blind side. Chargers fans, Jim, uh, sorry, uh, Harbour is not going to solve everything. Neither is Ben Johnson. These guys are not panacea. They're not the they're not the medicine that all of a sudden they get hired and the team's fixed. No, 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 no. There's there's probably months, if not years, of restructure and understanding from a general manager, from a from an HR level, from a scouting, from a, from everything. It's just beware. Yes, he looks sexy. Yes, he's winning. And we looked at Alistair. You shared the other brother in the locker room when the Ravens had their dominating win this week, and you that was a leader of men, you know, willing to put himself out there, be a little bit goofy. Brendan was always a, a little bit. Um, a little bit steely. He was quite serious. Just be wary. Okay. Everyone's shouting the house down for Harbour. I get it, but just understand what he will bring. That is also the, I guess not, I won't say negative, but is also the baggage that he brings as well. And by that, you mean like his, his attitude and, you know, he's a, he's a feather, he's a cage shaker, things like that. I kind of think that on the whole from, yeah, including Brandon Staley, for sure. The last three coaches and Tom Telesco, uh, it has been a soft, the, it's been a soft mentality and a real cushion coddle kind of way of, you know, we want to win, but it's okay if you don't. That's the kind of mentality that I've thought, whereas when you look at Harbour, who's had a winning record and turned teams around, what he's done at Stanford, you know, he came back in, took the Niners to a Super Bowl. Um, Michigan have been underachievers for a long time and you know two uh two college football semi-finals and now finally a, a college football finals berth uh in the last three years um there's you know he goes let's go get on my back and let's go and people believe in him i think a lot of there's been so much there's so much talk there's no do in the in the charges organization and that stems from you know that's why i'm still not sure when the span I say we want a different uh you know a different uh, view we want to you know move in a different way I I won't believe it until I see it because from them down to Telesco to the coaches it has just been talk without any kind of action and I think Harbour is a kind of guy that does what he says and implements that and he gets people to believe in that I don't care about his you know maybe ugly personality at times if you if you guys out there haven't seen it's worthwhile checking out the the, the tantrum compilation he's an absolute child on the sideline the carry-on is things i have never seen before you know he, he gets flagged for on, we've, we've been mates for years you've seen it you've seen the histrionics watching games yeah <laughs> That's all right. We're not paid millions of dollars to represent ourselves and the team. We sit on a couch and hurt each other. This guy <laughs> is just passion. He bleeds it. And I don't know. I, I think maybe it's not the best look and it's not the best kind of example, but it gets results. And I think 
enough's enough with the Chargers being like a, a pretty, uh, you know, keeping it clean, winning. I don't want to say winning fairly because I don't think he's, you know, a cheat, even aside from all the, the signal stealing stuff. <laughs> Might have dug him in a hole a little bit there, but I think enough's enough with us being like a, a pretty boy kind of team. Let's get dirty and um, and win some, win some football. Actually we'll, get what we... Yeah. Will the organization, though, the Spanai, want someone like that? I think they can easily say, yes, we're going to hire you, but there's still about a me that 18, 20 months in, Harbour's trying to make hard calls. Hold people to account. That's the biggest thing, is holding people to account. Okay, it's a, you're a number, you're a first-round draft pick, but you're not good enough, so you're sitting on the bench. That's just the way it goes. John Spanos, you're be not offended. allowed to wear that backwards cap anymore. Inside the room, exactly. out you go. Yep. Yeah, you know, so and get out so, of the so, frat. Quit doing so stands at fifty be... years old, dude. <laughs> you know, that's the accountability, and you, for for that to actually take, I would expect, I would want to see a key marker of success or a key indicator of things changing. That halfway through the season, if Harbour is coaching next year, that there are media reports of players being unsettled. There are media reports of coaches being unsettled. These guys that have been around the organization saying, oh, it's not a good environment because you know then he's trying to make change. I know that doesn't look great and the reports on that have been negative, but at least it'll mean ragers are starting to cattle. Cages are starting to rattle. There we go. Been a while since I've been back in the chair. Well, he's going to be he's going to be pretty hands-on in terms of personnel and things like that and uh, have a big input in. He's, the, the GM is not going to puppet him. It's going to be far more the other way around, unlike what it's been over the three coaching uh, cycles that Telesco's managed. A lot of it is Spanos says, tells Telesco, Telesco then says, and you've got McCoy, Lynn, and Brandon Staley who just go, yep, oh, I, oh, I will work with that. Not yeah. can we do it, you know, meet me halfway. Harbour will go, I'll get like a, an equal or an even softer GM that he can kind of push around. And, you know, if it doesn't work, it's going to be a colossal explosion for the organization. Mm. But what you're saying about if, if, you know, you get a first-round pick who's spending time on the sideline because he's not playing good enough, that's self-reflection and self-accountability on Harbour's side, not something that we've seen. It's been the complete opposite. If, um, if it hasn't worked, Telesco will... You know, it's been continuously pushed to make it work in years past. So I don't mind that. I don't mind admitting you get it wrong because, hell, we're going to see a big roster, a big roster turnover that, uh, over the next couple of years. There's just there's no way around that financially. Uh, so maybe it will be a good thing. I don't know. What I'm more concerned about is not necessarily the the personality issues. Is more so the Spanos opening up their pockets. Because there's a few other teams looking for a head coach this year. Uh, the Raiders, their owner's a, a rich gambler. You've got the, the the drink chucker in Carolina, David Pe David Tepper. Just got fined $300,000 for throwing a drink at Jacksonville fans. Incredible. Uh, Josh Harris, wealthy owner at the Redskins. So there's going to be competition. And if... Oh, money in the if, swear jar for that, Andy. Well... What did I say? Commanders. Oh, uh, yeah, righto. Uh, there's, uh, yes, apologies. Got me off guard there. The Commanders. Uh, there's there's going to be teams that want to get the services of a guy like Harbour who can turn their franchise around. 
Um, so if Dan Spanos wants to be taken seriously, maybe he's got to be one of those guys. I'm just not sure that he's willing to do that. So we'll see. What do you think? On the other that? side. Oh, oh sorry. Okay. Yeah, I um, I, I think change is good, and and the natural inclination after you've had a few yes men or people without the successful pedigree, uh, I'd be well on board with throwing money at a proven coach at multiple levels who used to play quarterback for the Chargers. He'd know enough yeah. about how the organization runs. Um, apparently, the Spanai family have been in conversation with him at different points throughout the year. I'd be excited by it. I still, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a bit kind of traumatized by the. How, how much of a failure the Staley thing has been. So it will be a wait and see. But if it does blow up in a year and a half under Jim Harbour, God, I don't know what happens. Maybe we've come to the Delaware Chargers or something and we move, move to some other time because you're not going to survive in LA if you don't win. But at least it would be a commitment to trying to win and he'll cost a pretty penny. As you said, Andy, there's going to be some competition for his services. So, yeah, mm. oh, that was a good good starting the point. London, England Chargers. Oh, That's what we'd yeah. be. Yeah. Would be the first franchise. The mighty rocking horses of London Town. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it'll be oh, interesting gosh. nonetheless. The, on the other side, you've got uh, a proven play caller, who I guess we've been bitten by a couple of times, at least mainly with Brandon in um, in Ben Johnson. Unsure what he can do with a whole team. Uh, Al, I spoke to you about this when we were watching on New Year's Day. But the Broncos game is you don't actually know what the guy can do with the whole organization. That sort of really seems to be Dan Campbell's shtick, not tied to any particular scheme or any offensive sort of mindset. He just kind of barks at them and they go, yeah, let's be blue collar. Let's, let's, uh, let's, mm. let's, that's uh, that ugly football. And then Ben Johnson's sitting there with his computer and his abacus and he's just, he, ma- he makes it sexy and that partnership works. Will, Ben Johnson's, you know, foray into head coaching translate the same way. Will he pick up? You know, he's a well-spoken guy. Um, Dan Campbell has his moments of being well-spoken. Sometimes he sounds like he's chewing foil. So I don't really know um, how that will work, but I feel like we're just now kind of thrice bitten. It's not really something, and I think it might actually be scaring some Chargers fans off as well with the prospect of having a at the next hotshot coordinator play caller. And how can you know? Team. How can you know, right? Like it, it, there is sure. the je ne sais quoi of high as the head coach because it's very different calling the plays versus leading an entire organization and preparing practice schedules and nutrition and or it's a completely different role. All you can do is kind of look at their body of work. Ben Johnson's got a bit more experience than Staley, so it's not the complete um, kind of supernova rise to the top. He's been in the NFL for at least 10 years. Miami with Joe Philbin all the way through. So maybe he's seen a bit more, some yeah. some places that didn't work, people getting fired, a place like, like Detroit where they built it up from the ground. But you just never know. I do think, though, for the people who want Ben Johnson, it is a bit of a cheat code in the modern NFL. It gives you more breathing space to grow into your head coaching role if you're an offensive play caller who's really damn good. It, it, yeah. Like we've seen with McDaniel and McVeigh and Lafleur, if you're a good play caller, that's at least a start. But it doesn't mean you're going to be good at the other stuff, like you've said. Yeah, but yeah, it's you know the experience and the exposure that he's had in in past lives that he can take with him. So yeah, who knows? Interesting to see. Do we want to talk at all about the prospect? You know, if Harbaugh falls through, Dan Quinn, 
We've I think we briefly touched on him a couple of weeks ago. Another potential coming back. You know, maybe marry him up again with Kellen Moore. The Broncos of L- uh, sorry, the Cowboys of LA. Um, yeah. He got Atlanta a to a Super Bowl. Yeah. For me, there's like Harbour yeah, Johnson and then a bit chasm. of a gap. Yeah. And you're at looking least at you like know, Flores and Quinn and Belichick. The enemy and Belichick. Okay, what do you think about Belichick, Jack? Oh, it wouldn't. <laughs> if that happens, I think I might just. I, I don't know what I'd do. I the the amount of hatred Say that I think that, that Bill Belichick Say it, has <laughs> that as for our organization, I think he. I think the Chargers are up there with one of his teams that he likes to beat the most up there with the Jets and the Browns and all those. But um, no, I he's. I think he's too far gone. Well, old Bill um, and LA, yeah. Yeah, LA is yeah. a bright, bright-eyed, starry city. Very different from the working people of New England and that kind of culture there. So I, I think it takes someone a little bit more glitzy and glamorous. Uh, Belichick, I think, is also a defensive-minded coach. So you'd have to get a coordinator that would want to work under Bill Belichick and you know inherently conservative. Josh, Josh McDaniels, uh-huh. McDaniels, oh, God, O'Brien, these guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. Got some hey, openings to host this podcast if you'd like, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes uh, to that, oh, that would be poetic. See me getting pumped up every day. It <laughs> would, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, that's anyway. probably the worst way it could go, I think. Uh, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Tulesco. Okay. What do you reckon? You tried, Where do you, you want to start? You tried to do this 15 minutes ago. Sorry, I derailed it. No, no, um, no that's fine. You derailed it, derailed it well, as long as you can come uh, up with something good now. I um I want to hug back to something Jack said about Telesco being kind of made a GM at a really young age. So necessarily you rely on your one kind of experience. And for him, it was Bill Polian and the Colts and the way they did things. And I think over his tenure, he's really failed to keep up with the times. Yeah, He's kind of gone back to what he knew and what he believed in. And, and to me, that, that was a lot of focus on football players rather than athletes and you can see his philosophy if you look at relative athletic score one of the kind of metrics you look at a draft time that's clearly not been a consistent focus for the charges over his 11 years um there was a brief stint in 2018 and 2019 when bradley gus bradley was the defensive coordinator and in that scheme because it's a very simple scheme you draft some athletes and you play fast there was a little area where we kind of averaged above eight out of ten for drafting athletic rookies but most of the time it has clearly just not been a priority so i don't think he ever really adjusted that um and to his detriment as the league has kind of decided hey, with all these wacky schemes and great college players, we want some outstanding athletes out there. To me, that's kind of at least one thing that he was a bit stuck in the mud philosophically. If we make it like a conversation about offensive prospects, which is what we're doing this afternoon, I think his kind of tenure is really summed up in that move to trade up for Melvin Gordon in 2015. If you look at that move... San Francisco ended up getting three picks to come down two spots. And when we went from 17 to 15 to get Melvin Gordon, they went from 15 to 17 and got Eric Armstead, who's just been good for years for them. They got Blake Bell, who's now with the Chiefs as as a tight end. Mm. 
They got another defensive end called Ronald Blair. He was there for four years, had about 15 sacks. So it's just this kind of understanding. Telesco had this thing where he was really keen. It's almost like there was a prize where he goes, we want that player. And unfortunately, the two positions he kind of drafted more than any other was um, outside of wide receiver. It was guard, a very low positional value spot, and running back, trading uh, up for Melvin Gordon. Linebacker as well. And linebacker too. So it's like he didn't quite get it. He didn't get positional value. He didn't get, he didn't trade down one time in 11 years. Imagine not trading down one time in 11 years. The New Orleans Saints are the only other team who's done that. Go, Jack. Well, you know why? Smells like shit, looks like shit, feels like shit, tastes like shit. It is shit. And Tom Telesco's tenure, when you actually break it down, on that fact alone, Alistair, that no one wanted to trade with him. And I think that says something. If you, and this is just me pontificating and hypothesizing, but if you look at one area of strength of Tom Telesco's was putting together pretty good deals for players. They're pretty good organizational good deals. You know, they're, they're rip cords and things, which shows me that he's pretty tight with money and he's fairly strong handed and he doesn't really like to give too much. You transfer that to the world of GMs. You're a young guy that's come up. You're a whippersnapper. Um, you know, you haven't had the chance those 10 years, 15 years to build those connections with your colleagues. A lot of the time, colleagues, or should I say, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, what do you call some peers? There we go. You know, you, you think about the, when you rise, if you're 32 and you're working as a, as, as an assistant GM, you've got maybe 50 or 60 other guys that are around your age that are slowly going up that age bracket with you. So when you turn mid forties, fifties, you go, Hey, Oh, that's right. Remember when we worked together, blah, 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 blah. It seems to me that he might've just gone into this world of GMing and no one wanted a bar of him because he's just not a, he's just not a peer. They just didn't really know him. And same thing with Staley, right? When he's trying to build coordinators and find guys to work for him. It's a, it's a downside of getting a, a very prominent position at a young age. And I just yeah. think the fact that they have never traded back, we've never seemed to, uh, even in this draft when we went QJ, when everyone was, you know, I think most pundits would say, hey, trade back. Trade back in the second round, get some value. Um, he never has been able to find it. And the depth on this team has been an issue for years. Yeah, I see. I'm, I'm intrigued because I would have thought that if people, you know, failed to respect him, they would have tried to, uh, rob him essentially. So when he's offering things, they were like, okay, if he truly believes there was not a, a valid trade partner, he's either stubborn or just wasn't calling the right people. Um, but if it's, if there's a professional mismatch, as you suggest, which I don't, I, I'm not discounting at all, Jack, but I think that there'd be a lot more kind of savvier, older guys who go, all right, let's, let's take this whippersnapper to the, to the cleaners. Um, and, and you know maybe that's that's kind of what happened when he traded up because there were four instances of trading up just hemorrhaging fourth round picks for uh for as al said you know this fixation on a on a name um on a story just about Manti Teo is a huge one like poor guy let's draft him let's give him a job um for mine really poor assessment of offensive line talent as you said and just over overdoing it as well, Al. Um, the 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 theme of the coupon god. He did a really good job. I will like. I don't think it's all just lashing 
Tom Telesco. There were really good instances, not so much in the draft, but like in free agency of bringing in guys on one year, cheap one year deals, seeing a little bit of production and then almost throwing the house at them. And it was like, as soon as they got that money, things just turned to absolute crap. Um, Joe Barksdale is an example of that. Chad Reinhardt had a good first year when he was brought in in 2013 or 14 and then, you know, got three or four years extended after that. Sort of never really saw the same output. Um, trying to make splashes, seeing one guy have an anomaly kind of year and and then bringing him in on a multi-year deal. Travis Benjamin is a perfect example of that. One year he had more than, I think, 18 catches. Chargers bring him in four years for... T- 20 something million and we all remember the the muff punt safety it's just it's just like classic disaster sort of things so i don't know maybe yeah, there's a, a fair bit of like too big for his boots he just was really stuck to his guns i, I felt a long way um kind of got better at it but you know he got himself into so much caps cap deficit early on when those big deals failed um the dunlap extension sorry orlando franklin was the big one yeah uh, cut two years after a five-year um deal was struck there was just a lot of dead money going on and it's now come almost full circle to the point now where uh he's backloaded contracts and hasn't been able to do the right thing and now you know he can walk out of the burning building as we've we've sort of joked about um but yeah a lot of desperate stuff. Unfortunate. Not finding it, just not being able to develop enough depth for a, a team that just needed balance from the Philip Rivers days, Philip Rivers days to to Justin Herbert. The struggles that the team has now with just not being able to put out a balanced offense. Um, if you're going to give I him think credit, heard... if you're going to give him credit. I think one thing is borne out, like it's ridiculous to get given 11 years as a GM making the playoffs three times. Let's just say that he got an extraordinary tenure for his lack of on-field success. Longest leash I've seen. Crazy. But one thing I will say, I think he acknowledged and got better at drafting or dealing with offensive linemen. So if you look at his early years, he, he was actually drafting guys with really low athleticism. DJ Fluker, Chris Watt didn't work. Max Turk didn't work. Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney didn't work. And then I think he said, stuff this. If we're going to have a center, we need to hit free agency, Mike Pouncey, Corey Lindsley. So I reckon tick for acknowledging your weaknesses and, and getting an established professional. And then if you look at Yeah, Balaga, well, injury set him aside, but same kind of thing. And then if you look at like his most recent offensive lineman, he, start, he went from drafting non-athletes who are busts to very good athletes. Pipkins, Slater, who's 9.71 out of 10 RAS, RAS. and Zion Johnson, who's 9.55 out of 10. So jury's out on him. But I, I at least see, saw an evolution across 11 years of getting better at something that was a weakness at the, at the start of his tenure. I absolutely one, agree. I should yeah. have I should have signposted the poor assessment of offensive line talent by saying that, you know, from the start it was pretty ugly. Max Turk, Feeney, Lamp, Pipkins was starting to become DJ Fluker was absolutely in that mold. Chris Watt, 
And then you sort of Pipkins had started to get better. Um, but you know, we've just neglected some things and a rotational piece or a depth piece on the, in the tackle spot has ended up being a, a mainstay starter. And there's, you know, injuries have played a big part in that with uh Pouncey missed a lot of football. Brian Balaga missed a lot. And now Corey Lindsley has sort of fallen into that category, except he's paddocks above any of the, uh, the other guys. What were we going to say, Jack? Just another element of Tom Telesco being left behind. And I can't remember when the press conference was, but I believe it was a number of years ago when he was asked by a journalist, do you believe in windows? Herbert's got a couple of years left on his, on his, you know, rookie deal. Uh, do you think you're going to go for one? And he openly said, I don't believe in windows. I don't believe in, in quarterback windows. And from that moment on, that is just pissed me off. And if that doesn't encapsulate <laughs> Tom Telesco's tenure as a GM of the charges, I don't know what, I don't know what will, because he did it with, you know, one of the best quarterbacks I can ever remember watching in Philip Rivers. And he never was able to build a team that complemented Phil. Like he never put the the offensive line time that he has for Justin Herbert in Phil. I don't know what the relationship with Philip and Tom Telesco was like. Who knows? I mean, they didn't, Philip didn't leave the organization on best terms. But how can you, in today's modern game, how can you not leverage rookie deals especially quarterback ones in today's financial market and the way the salary cap works i just think it's moronic and negligent dare i say to link it the fact that he got 11 years um and good riddance mm -hmm. that's yeah. i've got that a view as well because i like um i'll link this listeners uh brad spielberger from pff put together a kind of a reflective piece on his 11 year tenure and based on PFF's metrics, they say the Chargers were the fourth worst drafting team over the 2013 to 2022 period, 10 years. So a lot of people will, will give Telesco credit and say when he had an early pick, he hit with Herbert or Mike Williams or he hit with Keenan. You're going to have some hits over 11 years. This yeah. team is bereft of a good roster because PFF would say guys aren't getting second contracts. You were the fourth worst team at drafting over this 10 year period. So I think it's generous to say he was a middling GM. I think that bottom five, bottom 10 is a lot closer to a proper, a fair assessment of him, which is why the team has just not made the playoffs more than three times, despite having franchise quarterback play. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easy to point out the shining lights. Um, you know, the Boses and the Verrett to a degree, but it's it's so few and far between that it's actually worked for an extended period of time. Um, and what that ends... And when, you, you know, you trade away your mid-round picks and you don't move back and accumulate picks, you end up having to spend more money during free agency. Um, and as he has done, especially in his sort of earlier four years, is either miss out on signing guys to... Uh, longer contracts, um, for example, Adrian Phillips, uh, and overpaying guys on that that second that second contract. Uh, Brandon Flowers is one of them. I don't want to get too much into the defensive players. I want to leave a little bit of uh, meat on the bone for next week. King Dunlap, four years, twenty eight million in two thousand and fifteen. That stuff really really hurts when the guy doesn't stay with the team for that for the duration of that contract and. Let's say five out of your seven 
uh, players either don't make the aren't on the roster the following season or don't even make the team that year, um, and uh, yeah, you 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 just don't develop any kind of depth or continuity with the, with the playing group. It is like a colossal revolving door. And Andy, I think to if I were to draw Telesco's tenure and the Chargers. I guess, success over the last number of years. And we go on on this podcast, especially you and I, Andy, about coherency and the lack of it, is if I was to draw a graph, it would be, you know, up and then absolutely bottom out and then up and bottom out, not a gradual uh, climb towards building something. And when you're going up and down, up and down, 12 and five, all of a sudden then we're five and we're, we're going up and down. There are these, there's no consistency in philosophy or organize. And I get, I get it. Coaches change and schemes change, but you know, the Howie Rosemans of the world don't do that. Howie Roseman goes, this is the Eagles football team. Doesn't matter. Peterson won us a Super Bowl. We've got Sirianni here. Hasn't really changed the way I draft or build teams. Um, and they're still successful. So this constant up and down, up and down, up and down is just, I must, I, I as I reckon Philip Rivers' experience would be the most frustrating thing ever. And I think mm. Justin Herbert's probably starting to feel a little bit of that too. Um, he can't draft running backs for shit. That's something I've I've picked up as well. Like, again, he Marion he drafts who he drafts guys who aren't athletic enough to transition from college to NFL. And he he'll go on things like wiggle and vision. That's okay. But when you draft Justin Jackson, Larry Roundtree, Josh Kelly, they're just Isaiah Spiller. The argument is at the next level they're just a guy because they they can't explode. So I don't know. Offensive, pretty, pretty grim. Um, do we give him credit for quarterback guys? Do we give him credit for Rivers contract extension of Rivers? Should they have moved on from Rivers earlier and got to Sean Watson or Mahomes when people wanted to move on from Rivers? <laughs> Justin Herbert. How did Jack? How do you evaluate how he's handled quarterback? Luck. He inherited a Hall of Fame quarterback. He didn't do anything to help Philip, as I alluded to earlier. Justin Herbert wasn't a home run pick. He definitely had some stones to take him where he did because the the pundits didn't believe Justin Herbert was uh, was of the quality of maybe a top ten. He was a decent quarterback. Um, yeah, but a lot of that is luck. And uh, the same thing you said, you throw enough picks out there, one is going to hit. I don't think he would have kept his job if he um, if Justin Herbert wasn't drafted. I think we'd be we'd, we'd have seen a new GM probably two or three years ago by now. So uh, I think he's done a better job in supporting Justin Herbert with the drafting of guards and offensive tackles, as we've noted. He hasn't helped the running back at all. He's tried to help him with wide receivers with Mike Williams. He's kept Keenan Allen along. Josh Palmer is a decent, a decent um, wide receiver yep. and the, the, the jury's out on QJ, but I think he's tried, but yeah, handling the quarterback situation, I call it mainly just a little bit of luck. He would probably disagree with that, I'm sure, but we'd see. <laughs> no, you're right, Jack. Uh, Andy, what do you think about, about wide receiver? Because, uh, I don't know, I see that they love these tall guys and you end up with a lot of tall guys. Um, ha ha look, over his 11 years, what do you think of his handling of that position? Well, I think a lot of it's highlighted, A, by the, 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 the prototypical kind of size that he goes after and you had to be a charger fan for all of five minutes to know that we needed speed and wanted speed and twitch and variance on that kind of That's mold. And 
not veering away from, you know, it's that mentality of like a guy and, you know, he can go up and make a catch and he can outbody a guy, but you, you don't always play against the same kind of receivers and uh, sorry, um, defenders and, uh, and cornerbacks and just feels like it's a, a tunnel vision kind of thing. And we don't have the breadth of body types to be able to execute everything as we should. Um, and it just makes the, it makes the offense one dimensional. And when you're not drafting a good offensive line and a good running back core, and you've got one kind or one and a half kinds of uh, receivers, then yeah, you're, you're really shooting your quarterback in the foot because you're not allowing, it doesn't matter who your offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, Kellen Moore. Um, I, I stand by that. I thought, there wasn't a huge discrepancy between Lombardi and Kellen Moore this year because I just don't feel like Kellen Moore has any kind of different pieces. He's got a different a different set of ideas, but there's not really the pieces to be able to execute what he wants. So that's been a, a massive, a massive hindrance um, on the progression of the offense. And you know, you're really just limiting. You're just relying on Herbert to try and bail you out in and and be a superhero. Uh, and it's you know, I think if Herbert wasn't such a kind of nice guy, you'd you'd hear you'd hear a bit of lip, and I'm sure there's a, an element of frustration bubbling away under the surface. Um, maybe he's happy that the that Telesco's gone, and there's a new, just a new breath of fresh air in the philosophy behind bringing different guys in. It's, it's interesting, Andy. Maybe that's a little bit of his outdated way of operating. He was trying to find the Julio Jones, the Megatron, you know, these guys who, you know, 10, 15 years ago were the premier wide receivers of the NFL. These are the guys that had 10,000 yards. But now it's the Tyreek Hills, it's the Jalen Waddles, it's the the smaller, faster guys. Mike Evans has his place, don't get me wrong. He's having a fantastic year this year. Um, but Fantastic the, the, career, sorry. Yeah, incredible career. Such an yeah. understated career. A thousand um, yards every every year, I think he's gotten. So yeah, yeah, something um, stupid and a Super Bowl. Like he'll be mm. he'll be enshrined one day. Just you watch. Mm. Yeah, but, but the way they're like he's not even trying to do too much different with how he's done how he's brought in free agent wide receivers as well. Um, Stevie Johnson, Jacoby Jones, like golly, Travis Benjamin, as we said kind of using oh, those guys man. for sure as as return return guys but it's so yuck it's, it's so, so frustrating it, it is so frustrating i don't know how you stand there as a football team this year with keenan mike and palmer and think hey qj's the guy we'll take because yeah. what what he has that's different like he does bring yards after catch which was a need last year but you, we don't have a single, did not have a single wide receiver who is shifty. That's the word you used, Andy, and that's perfect. And you watch Zay Flowers, what he did against the Dolphins on the weekend. That's the element that you're missing, the ability oh, to stop, man. start, run a pivot route. It takes big guys longer to create separation. So yep. you play def defenses know they can kind of creep up a little bit. They can play press. It's going to take them longer to get downfield, and it stultifies your offense and it doesn't matter if you're Kellen Moore with these good play designs and uh, and you look to push it downfield if you don't have those outlets that aren't Gerald Everett you're going to get stuck in third and long and that's what we're going to see and it's seen and it's going to take it's going to take a couple drafts at least to fix that 
because we don't really have any of those guys on the team. Um, Darius Davis is kind of, he's deep threat, but he's not shifty. He's kind of a, an undrafted type wide receiver anyway. So something to focus Agreed. on. Agreed. Yeah. Good piece if he was undrafted. Fourth round pick. Hmm. Don't know. Don't know. Hasn't really been even, they haven't even really tried to get him into the offense as such. Jaden Reed would have been great. I think mm-hmm. fourth, fourth or fifth round pick to the Packers. Killing and then it. Jack could have bought that Guernsey with Jay Reed on the back. Charges would have been, would have been sweet. There's going to be plenty more to talk about, and I'm I'm sure next week we'll have uh, when we're talking about how the the landscape of the defense over the last ten years has been uh, kind of molded. Um, there'll be crossover. So if you want to keep your guns in your holster for another week. If you're happy with that, fellas, we can just look forward to a delightful battle between the Chargers and the Chiefs. Um, <clears throat> rooting for a win, expecting, I'm hoping, a top five pick out of this one. Yeah, I think at this get, point, rooting get for the, a loss, actually. Get the body actually. bags out, I think. Yeah. yeah. Get yeah. the body bags yeah, out. Yeah, I'm just I pulling the wool. going to be a few pulling... leaving. And do yeah. Chiefs have anything to play for? They might be locked into their spot. It, yeah, it, might, it might be rest all the starters kind of category. Kind of, kind of game. Not sure. Yeah, I don't know sure. off the top of my head what the record is between. I think they've got a better record than whoever will win the AFC South. Mm. And are they ten and six? Maybe if yeah, if I the think Bills, they can't get I think home the... field advantage, so I reckon they rest everyone. But and it would just be a Chiefs thing right. to do to make sure they lose that game, so the Chargers pick at eight or nine instead yeah. of five. Yep, fucking bastards. Yep. And then we can all get excited about drafting Joe Alt yeah. uh, tackle instead of, you know, a Malik Neighbors or Marv Harrison Jr. Lots of fun. Lots of fun to look forward to. Don't have too many shows left to go in the uh, the season 23, so we'll make the most of it. Guys, take care. I hope the start to 2024 has been great for you all. Uh, we look forward to another journey with you ahead. Till then, we'll see you next time on Thunder Down Under. Cheerio. Bye. Happy New Year. Stop it. Firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, 6 and 10, 5, high step, touchdown!